Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at infofellowshipgj.com. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we wanna encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that by clicking on the giving link located in the description below this video, online at fellowshipgj.com, or if you're a member here at Fellowship Church, you can give through our Church Center app. This will help us to continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy today's message. So apparently we homeschool now. My husband and I have three boys, first grade, second grade, and third grade. And I gotta be honest, I'm woefully unequipped to be homeschooling. And everything I say, my boys find incredibly unimpressive. But on day one of homeschool, I crushed it with a lesson plan. I wrote out in detail what we would be doing throughout the entire day. And that lesson plan was amazing. I started off with a virtual field trip to San Diego Zoo, followed by math games, followed by PE, followed by write your own rap and perform it for the class. We had writing, we had all kinds of read alouds and Spanish classes. And it looked amazing on paper, but in reality, it was an epic fail. My kids and I took four entire days to finish most of day one. And I'm pretty sure they decided to um, form a coup. I wasn't invited to the meeting, but just based on behavior and how things are going, it's incredibly obvious to me that I am no longer in charge of Dolan Elementary. I do now what every homeschool mom does. I sit at night and try to decide what are we going to do tomorrow at school. And I put together my lesson plan and I try to sort out what is this actually going to look like for us to have three active boys stuck inside a house. How are we going to spend the day in a way that's vaguely educational and minimally violent? And it hasn't been going that great, but... I just keep trying, friends, and that's what I hope that each one of you are doing. Recently, it occurred to me that I have forgotten to teach an entire subject, history. Totally forgot about it, haven't instructed my kids at all on the subject of history, so that's how homeschooling is going at the Dolan House. But here's the truth. When we read or study history, we have the benefit of knowing the ends from the beginning. We know who will win the war. We know who saves the day. We know what actions are essential to that outcome. But when we're living history, we don't have that same benefit. We aren't sure if what we're doing, how we're acting, the decisions we're making, we aren't sure if they're significant or insignificant. And we don't know how they will affect the end of the story. When we read the Bible, we have the benefit of always knowing how the story ends. We're able to read the story of Jonah and see the guy get swallowed by a gigantic whale. But we don't panic when we read it because we know in the end he gets spit up on a beautiful beach. What could be better? We read the story of Joshua and we know he's marching an army that's totally untrained and unprofessional around a city with walls incredibly high with a military might inside that city ready to crush them like bugs. But we don't panic because we know the end of the story is the walls come crumbling down. And so we don't panic when we read it. And we don't panic when Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den. We're not worried, is he gonna make it through the night? Because we know that at the end of the story, Daniel comes out without a scratch. And when Peter denies Jesus, we don't, we don't judge him. 
We're calm, cool, and collected as we read the story of Peter because we are confident that Peter's going to go on to preach and teach and baptize and thousands of people are going to come to Christ from his ministry. We don't worry about Peter because we know the end from the beginning. And when Jesus dies on the cross, and we know he's hanging there for all humanity, beaten and bloodied, we're resolute, confident, and strong because we know the end of that story is that Jesus rises from the dead three days later. And so we read the Bible many times with the benefit of knowing the ends at the very beginning. And the end of the story is often what keeps us from panicking in the middle of the story. We know it's going to end well so we can stay calm. I'm a huge Packer fan. I was born and raised one block from the stadium. My family is hardcore. As soon as it snows, my dad would snowplow the front lawn so other fans could park on our lawn. We are legit. And when we watch the games, I gotta admit, I get a little stressed out. It's not rational, honestly, how intensely I watch the games and how easily I can lose my mind. So a couple of years ago, Lavelle and I were going through some fertility treatments and um, fertility testing, and the doctor told us that the best thing to do was to try to keep the stress down. But the Packers were in the playoffs, y'all. And so I really wanted to watch the game, but I knew that I would not do so in a calm, stress-free, rational manner. And so my loving husband, he recorded the game, and then when we won, he let me know we won, and then he let me watch the game. And when we were down by two touchdowns, I didn't panic. And when we coughed up the ball in the red zone, I did not lose my mind because I knew the final score. I knew what was going to happen at the very end of the whole game. And what was going on in the middle wasn't impacting to me because I had the end result in mind. I could just relax. But that's not real life, is it? We don't know the final score until the final whistle. And we don't know the outcome until history has been lived. And so how can we have peace in moments like this when history is literally unfolding before us? Jesus gives us an example in the Bible of how he acted during a storm. When a storm hits, we can look to his example. Turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. We'll begin. It says, Later that day, after it grew dark, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross over to the other side of the lake. And they went After they had sent away the crowd, they shoved off from shore with him as he had been teaching from a boat. And there were other boats that sailed with him. Suddenly, as they were crossing the lake, a ferocious storm arose. Suddenly. Suddenly, a storm arose. And some storms feel like they come out of nowhere. Life is smooth sailing. The economy is strong. The kids are in school and Boom, a storm hits, and not just any storm, but a ferocious storm. And this storm has implications, financial implications, economic implications, job implications, family, relational, health implications. And storms like that can often cause us to stop dead in our tracks. Storms do that. They wait for no one. Suddenly, a storm is on the scene. No one's prepared for that. Suddenly, a single parent. Suddenly, a cancer patient. Suddenly, a widow. Suddenly, unemployed. Suddenly, starting over at age 50. That's how storms most often come into our life. Verse 37, suddenly, 
As they were crossing the lake, a ferocious storm arose with violent winds and waves that were crashing into the boat until it was all but swamped. But Jesus was calmly sleeping in the stern, resting on a cushion. So they took, shook him awake, saying, Teacher, don't you even care that we're about to die? Many of us are asking that very question in our lives right now. God, don't you even care what's happening in our world right now? God, don't you even care what we're going through as a family, as a society? We have this belief, an abstract belief, that God can help people through storms. But when it comes to, will God help me, sometimes we have our doubts. But let me say to you, In no uncertain terms, God is not asleep at the helm of your life. God is in control. He sees you. He sees your family. He sees what you're going through, and he is deeply moved with love and compassion for you. God truly cares about the storm that's hitting your life, just like he cared about the storm the disciples were facing in that moment. The text continues, verse 39, it says, fully awake, He rebuked the storm and shouted to the sea, hush, calm down. I've said that a lot this month. Hush, calm down. All at once, the wind stopped howling and the waters became perfectly calm. Then he turned to his disciples and said to them, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? I think that's a great question for each one of us to ask ourselves in moments like these. Why are you so afraid? Because we do not live or grieve or act as those who have no hope. We we do not conduct ourselves as children with no father to protect us. We do not act as, as someone who's orphaned in this world, but we act as sons and daughters of an almighty God. We have a God in heaven who never sleeps, who never slumbers, who knows the numbers of hair on your head, who is deeply concerned, and he can speak to any storm and calm it in an instant. Or he can speak to your heart that's racing and scared at night. He can hold that heart and calm that heart as you ride out the storm. Here's what I need you to see, friends. What rocked Jesus to sleep is the very thing that keeps most people awake. What rocked Jesus to sleep is the very thing that keeps most people awake. You see, Jesus, he wasn't running around in the boat afraid. He wasn't panicking and freaking out in the storm. He was at peace inside and out. What panicked others never panicked Jesus. He could not be rocked. Because he knew that he was tucked in to his heavenly father. Jesus was not rocked by what rocked everyone around him. He was already tucked in to the heavenly father. How do you and I weather a storm? How do we sleep through a storm that's coming with winds and waves every day? We get tucked in by our heavenly father. We stay tucked in to our heavenly father and then we can have peace in the midst of any storm, in the midst of every storm. Isaiah chapter 26 verse three says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. 
Once when I was a kid, I was riding shotgun with my dad, and it must have been one of the first times because I remember feeling very cool in the front seat. And we came to a dead spot where the radio went staticky, and you couldn't really hear the station. And my dad leaned over, and he just pushed the scan button. And pushing the scan button, what happened was it scanned the numbers until it landed on a different station. And when it landed on that station, it played music for a few seconds and then continued scanning until it landed on a different station, played music for a few seconds, continued scanning, landed on a different station until my dad reached out and told it to stop by pushing another button. And I know that's a little old school because who travels with the radio when you have Spotify? But the truth is our minds are like an old school radio and they will scan through every fear, every circumstance, every situation over and over again, looking for something to land on. And if we don't learn to push stop on that, we'll keep replaying every possible scenario in our minds. And so we need to learn, friends, to retune our minds to Christ, to retune our minds to what Christ's thoughts are and to fix our thoughts on him. And then we can tap into that promise in Isaiah 26 and we can have that perfect peace. So because of homeschool, I'm trying to learn things about science so that I can teach my kids stuff, which is just so weird for me. And I do what every fake homeschool mom in the country is doing right now. I Google stuff and I watch YouTube clips. And I I say fake homeschool mom because there are some of you that are legit homeschool moms and my hat is off to you because you're crushing it every day. But I'm a fake homeschool mom. I'm just trying to survive till the regular school opens back up again. And so I'm watching these video clips to try to learn sciencey stuff so I can somewhat educate my kids so they turn out okay. And I came across this guy His name is Steve Spangler, and he has this show called DIY Sci, and he does cool science experiments. And so I'm watching him do this science experiment, and all I can think about is how much that science experiment preaches. I have no idea what the science is behind it. I wasn't listening. I was just getting a sermon idea because, again, I'm a fake homeschool mom and a preacher, not a scientist. So here's what the Holy Spirit spoke into my heart. First, I got to tell you what the guy did. So what he's got is he's got a clear plate and he poured some milk onto it. And then he put some drops of food coloring into that plate. And then he took a drop of Dawn dish detergent and dropped that dish soap into the plate. And all of a sudden, the color just shot out. The color just moved to the side and created these beautiful designs. Now, like I said, I'm not a scientist, so I don't know how it did all that sciencey stuff. You can Google it and do it in your own homeschool. But for me, God spoke to my heart, and this is what he told me. He said, this, the drop of dish soap, that's what prayer does to worry. When prayer comes on the scene, worry has to flee. When prayer comes onto the scene, worry has, it it gives up its form and its state. It cannot stay because when we do what the Bible says and we bring our worries and we bring our fears and we bring our anxiety to Jesus, worry cannot stay where it is. We can't simultaneously give our fears and worries to the almighty God of this entire universe and hold on to them for our own contemplation and thoughts. That's why the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, it says, cast all your anxiety on God, for he cares for you. And the word that's used in the Greek here for cast is the same word you would use if you were to say a fisherman cast his nets. So you grab hold of that worry and you cast it, you let go, you throw it completely out and let go. And so when God is saying, cast your cares on me, he's saying, grab hold of them 
and throw them out to me and I'll catch them. I'll take care of them. It'll be like that food coloring in milk with the soap. Whatever science did that causes it to just transform. And friends, when we bring our prayers to God, they can't help but When we bring our worries to God in the form of prayer, it cannot help but transform that worry into something brand new. The next verse, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, warns us what happens when we don't bring our worries to God. It says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So I'm watching this milk thing and I'm watching Steve Spangler and I'm supposed to be homeschooling now, which I'm still not crushing, by the way. And instead of learning science, I'm learning more more things that correlate between worry and prayer and peace and God. Philippians chapter four comes to mind and it says, do not worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Friends, worry is a signal. It should be an alarm going off in our minds, letting us know something is out of balance and we need to pray. When we worry, we immediately should be flipping into prayer and allowing God to transform that worry and make it something beautiful. We dislike the feeling of worry. It panics us. It unsettles us. It stresses us out. That's why it's that alarm. That's an alarm that should alarm us straight towards prayer. But if we continue to dwell in worry and dwell on worry, then we'll lead down a destructive, pla- a destructive path. But if we allow that worry to signal us to pray, then all of a sudden our worries are transformed into something beautiful. We're worried about how we're going to pay the bills, so we talk to our provider. We're worried about our parenting, so we talk to our father. We're worried about a loved one, so we talk to our healer. We're worried about aging family members, so we talk to the ancient of days. We're worried about how we're going to get through this, so we talk to the way maker. And if the truth is, if it's on your mind, if it's something in your mind that's bouncing around and causing you stress or worry, then guess what? It's on God's heart. If it's in your mind long enough to think about, then it's worthy to pray about. And don't let the enemy trick you into saying, oh, God's so busy right now. There's a pandemic. Don't you know God can, God can handle your prayers and my prayers about every worry that crosses our minds. I have to be honest, there is so much happening in the world right now, and I don't understand it all, and I don't know that I could understand it all without driving myself absolutely crazy, but I know this, I need peace. I need peace bigger and stronger than this world, peace bigger and stronger than my fears, peace bigger and stronger than my questions, and that's why I am so grateful that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. That he is the Prince of Peace. He is God with us in the midst of everything. In his own words, Jesus makes us a promise. In John 14, he says, Peace I leave with you. My own peace I now give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Stop allowing yourselves to be agitated and disturbed. Do not permit yourselves to be fearful and intimidated and cowardly and unsettled. That's the amplified version. Did you, did you catch it? Jesus says, do not let 
your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. In other words, we have the ability to control our response to what's going on around us. We have the ability to take that worry and throw it aside and cast it to God and have him replace that with his peace and his presence in our lives. But we have to make that choice. We have to make the choice to say, I will not be agitated. I will not be unsettled. I will not be a hot mess. I will turn to my God during this crisis because left to our natural tendency in a storm, Human tendency is to do what the disciples did and panic, to run around crazy, try to bail ourselves out and have no clue how we're going to survive. But we're not ever left to our natural selves in a storm and we're never, ever left alone in our storm. God is always with us. Jesus is always in the boat and we can partner with God to overcome, to overcome whatever it is that that storm is bringing our way. Peace that the world gives is fragile. Peace that the world gives is circumstantial. It's based on knowing how the story is going to end. But peace that comes from Jesus is internal and eternal. It's not blown and tossed by the wind. It's not based on the newest statistics or the newest news media report or the latest polls. The peace that Jesus gives is unchanging. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter two, for he himself is our peace. Some people have no peace right now in the midst of this massive storm that we're experiencing because they do not know Christ. And Jesus is the source of all lasting peace. And there is no true peace outside of him. Jesus offered himself so that we could have peace. And the peace isn't just peace in circumstances. The peace that Jesus offers, yes, is circumstance for our circumstances, but also the peace Jesus offers is that we as human beings might have peace with God. That as an individual person that you can know for sure that you have made peace with the almighty creator of this universe. Some of you, if you are completely honest with yourselves, would say, I've been running. I've been running from God. And you can tell that your soul is at odds with God in this moment. And maybe up to this point in your life, that has worked for you. You've been vaguely successful with that life model. But storms have a way of causing us to search ourselves in ways we never do when the seas are calm. And the Bible says in Proverbs 16, there is a road that seems right to a man to travel, but in the end, it's the road to death. And so some of you, as you're searching yourselves during this storm, you've come to the realization that doing life your own way is leading to a place of emptiness, that you feel like you're at a dead end in a storm, in a boat, all alone. And if that's how you're feeling this morning, I want you to know that there is hope in Jesus. Romans chapter three explains it to us. It says, for everyone has sinned. Friends, we have all sinned. I I have sinned in just homeschooling this month. We all sin. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. And people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. 
And so you may be asking inside yourself, how, how do I gain that forgiveness? How do I know that I have been made right with God? These truths continue just a couple pages later in Romans chapter 10, it says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And friends, I don't know where you're watching this message from this morning, but if you would, let's just turn it into a, to a sacred place in this moment. If everyone would just close their eyes and bow their heads. And I want us to contemplate these things in our own soul. And maybe as you're hearing these words, you're recognizing you've been doing life your own way. You know that you've sinned and you know now that you need Jesus more than ever to pay the price of your sin, to clean the sin out from your life and to bring you into right standing with God. And you can handle that today, right where you're watching on your couch, in your vehicle, wherever you are, Jesus is willing, he's anxious to do that in your life right now. And the way that you do that is you pray this prayer. If you'd pray with me, dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for the wrong things I've done. Please forgive me. Wash me clean in every way. And from now on, be the Lord and leader of my life. I give you control. Lead me from this day forward. I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose again for me. Thank you for making me right with God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Guys, if you prayed that prayer for the very first time or you've sensed that you've wandered from God and you prayed that prayer as a way of coming back, I'd like to read to you one final verse about peace from Romans chapter five. And this is our promise. It says, our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us and he now declares us flawless in his eyes. This means we can now enjoy true and lasting peace with God all because of what the Lord Jesus, the anointed one has done for us. Our faith guarantees us permanent access to this marvelous kindness that has been given to us in a perfect relationship with God. Friends, we have been blessed with this relationship with God and this peace that can get us through any storm. And I wanna bless you with peace this morning. I know that there is so much going on in our world but I wanna remind you, God is with you, he loves you, and he can bring you peace in your situation. So God, in the name of Jesus, I bless my brothers and sisters with peace. I ask that you would give them peace, not as the world gives, but peace as you give, peace that passes understanding, a confidence knowing that you are with them. God, we ask that you would calm this storm, that if you choose not to, we ask that you would calm your sons and daughters and that you would hold us tight, tuck us into you so that what's rocking the world around us is not rocking us because we have you and your presence and your peace and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I wanna give you the opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can do that right now. I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. 
Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord, that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my savior, to guide my life and to give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in your precious son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you just prayed this prayer for the first time or if you need prayer, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY or at prayer at fellowshipgj.com. If this was your first time experiencing Fellowship Church, please click the first time link located in the description below video. Thanks again. We hope to see you next week for our online services at 9 and 11 a.m.